0: Chapter Eighteen of Leviathan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Leviathan by Thomas Hobbes. Chapter Eighteen Of the Rights of Sovereigns by Institution. A Commonwealth is said to be instituted when a multitude of men do agree and covenant every one with every one, that to whatsoever man or assembly of men shall be given by the major part the right to present the person of them all, that is to say, to be their representative, every one, as well he that voted for it as he that voted against it, shall authorize all the actions and judgments of that man or assembly of men in the same manner as if they were his own, to the end to live peaceably amongst themselves, and be protected against other men. From this institution of a commonwealth are derived all the rights and faculties of him, or them, on whom the sovereign power is conferred by the consent of the people assembled. First, because they covenant, it is to be understood, they are not obliged by former covenant to anything repugnant hereunto. And consequently, they that have already instituted a commonwealth, being thereby bound by covenant to own the actions and judgments of one, cannot lawfully make a new covenant amongst themselves to be obedient to any other, in anything whatsoever, without his permission. And therefore, they that are subject to a monarch, cannot, without his leave, cast off monarchy, and return to the confusion of a disunited multitude nor transfer their person from him that beareth it to another man, other assembly of men. For they are bound, every man to every man, to own and be reputed author of all that already is their sovereign shall do, and judge fit to be done, so that any one man dissenting, all the rest should break their covenant made to that man, which is injustice. And they have also every man given the sovereignty to him that beareth their person, and therefore if they depose him, they take from him that which is his own, and so again it is injustice. Besides, if he that attempteth to depose his sovereign be killed or punished by him for such attempt, he is author of his own punishment, as being, by the institution, author of all his sovereign shall do. And because it is injustice for a man to do anything for which he may be punished by his own authority, he is also upon that title unjust. And whereas some men have pretended for their disobedience to their sovereign a new covenant, made not with men, but with God, this also is unjust. For there is no covenant with God but by mediation of somebody that representeth God's person, which none doth but God's lieutenant who had the sovereignty under God. But this pretence of covenant with God is so evident a lie, even in the pretender's own consciences, that it is not only an act of an unjust, but also of a vile and unmanly disposition. Secondly, because the right of bearing the person of them all is given to him they make sovereign, by covenant only of one to another, and not of him to any of them, there can happen no breach of covenant on the part of the sovereign, and consequently none of his subjects, by any pretense of forfeiture, can be freed from his subjection. That he which is made sovereign maketh no covenant with his subjects beforehand is manifest, because either he must make it with the whole multitude as one party to the covenant, or he must make a several covenant with every man. With the whole as one party it is impossible, because as they are not one person, and if he make so many several covenants as there be men, those covenants, after he hath sovereignty, are void. Because what act soever can be pretended by any one of them for breach thereof is the act both of himself and of all the rest, because done in the person and by the right of every one of them in particular. Besides, if any one or more of them pretend a breach of the covenant made by the sovereign at his institution, and others, or one other of his subjects, or himself alone, pretend there was no such breach, there is in this case no judge to decide the controversy. It returns, therefore, to the sword again, and every man recovereth the right of protecting himself by his own strength, contrary to the design they had in the institution. It is, therefore, in vain to grant sovereignty by way of precedent covenant. The opinion that any monarch receiveth his power by covenant that is to say, on condition, proceeded from want of understanding this easy truth, that covenants being but words and breath, have no force to oblige, contain, constrain, or protect any man, but what it has from the public sort, that is, from the untied hands of that man, or assembly of men, that hath the sovereignty, and whose actions are avouched by them all, and performed by the strength of them all, in him united. But when an assembly of men is made sovereign, then no man imagined any such covenant to have passed in the institution, for no man is so dull as to say, for example, the people of Rome made a covenant with the Romans to hold the sovereignty on such or such conditions, which not performed the Romans might lawfully depose the Roman people. That man see not the reason to be alike in a monarchy and, in a popular government, proceeded from the ambition of some that are kinder to the government of an assembly, whereof they may hope to participate, than of monarchy which they despair to enjoy. Thirdly, because the major part hath by consenting voices declared a sovereign, he that dissented must now consent with the rest, that is, be contented to avow all the actions he shall do, or else justly be destroyed by the rest. For if he voluntarily entered into the congregation of them that were assembled, he sufficiently declared thereby his will, and therefore tacitly covenanted to stand to what the major part should ordain. And therefore, if he refused to stand thereto, or make protestation against any of their decrees, he does contrary to his covenant, and therefore unjustly. And whether he be of the congregation or not, and whether his consent be asked or not, he must either submit to that decrees or be left in the condition of war he was in before, wherein he might without injustice be destroyed by any man whatsoever. Fourthly, because every subject is by this institution author of all the actions and judgments of the sovereign instituted, it follows that whatsoever he doth can be no injury to any of his subjects, nor ought he to be by any of them accused of injustice. For he that doth anything by authority from another doth therein no injury to him by whose authority he acteth. But by this institution of a commonwealth every particular man is author of all the sovereign doth. And consequently he that complaineth of injury from his sovereign complaineth of that whereof he himself is author, and therefore ought not to accuse any man but himself, no, nor himself of injury, because to do injury to oneself is impossible.' It is true that they that have sovereign power may commit iniquity, but not injustice or injury in the proper signification. Fifthly, and consequently to that which was said last, no man that hath sovereign power can justly be put to death, or otherwise in any manner by his subjects punished. For seeing every subject is author of the actions of his sovereign, he punisheth another for the actions committed by himself and because the end of this institution is the peace and defence of them all, and whosoever has right to the end has right to the means, it belonged of right to whatsoever man or assembly that had the sovereignty, to be judge both of the means of peace and defence, and also of the hindrances and disturbances of the same, and to do whatsoever he shall think necessary to be done, both beforehand for the preserving of peace and security, by prevention of discord at home, and hostility from abroad, and when peace and security are lost, for the recovery of the same. And therefore, sixthly, it is annexed to the sovereignty to be judge of what opinions and doctrines are averse, and what conducing to peace, and consequently on what occasions how far and what men are to be trusted withal in speaking to multitudes of people, and who shall examine the doctrines of all books before they be published for the actions of men proceed from their opinions and in the well-governing of opinions consisteth the well-governing of men's actions in order to their peace and concord and though in matter of doctrine nothing ought to be regarded but the truth yet this is not repugnant to regulating of the same by peace for doctrine repugnant to peace can no more be true then peace and concord can be against the law of nature. It is true that in a commonwealth, where by the negligence or unskilfulness of governors and teachers, false doctrines are by time generally received, the contrary truth may be generally offensive. Yet the most sudden and rough bustling in of a new truth that can be, does never break the peace, but only sometimes awake the war for those men that are so remissly governed that they dare take up arms to defend or introduce an opinion, are still in war, and their condition, not peace, but only a cessation of arms for fear of one another, and they live, as it were, in the procincts of battle continually. It belonged, therefore, to him that hath the sovereign power to be judge, or constitute all judges, of opinions and doctrines, as a thing necessary to peace, thereby to prevent discord and civil war seventhly is annexed to the sovereignty the whole power of prescribing the rules whereby every man may know what goods he may enjoy and what actions he may do without being molested by any of his fellow subjects and this is it men call propriety for before constitution of sovereign power as hath already been shown all men had right to do all things which necessarily causeth war, and therefore this propriety, being necessary to peace, and depending on sovereign power, is the act of that power in order to the public peace. These rules of propriety, or meum and tuum, and of good, evil, lawful, and unlawful in the actions of subjects, are the civil laws, that is to say, the laws of each commonwealth in particular, though the name of civil law be now restrained to the ancient civil laws of the city of Rome, which being the head of a great part of the world, her laws at that time were in these parts the civil law. Eightly, Is annexed to the sovereignty the right of judicature, that is to say, of hearing and deciding all controversies which may arise concerning law, either civil or natural, or concerning fact, For without the decision of controversies there is no protection of one subject against the injuries of another. The laws concerning maum and tuum are in vain, and to every man remaineth, from the natural and necessary appetite of his own conservation, the right of protecting himself by his private strength, which is the condition of war, and contrary to the end for which every commonwealth is instituted. Ninthly, is annexed to the sovereignty the right of making war and peace with other nations and commonwealths, that is to say, of judging when it is for the public good, and how great forces are to be assembled, armed and paid for, that end, and to levy money upon the subjects to defray the expenses thereof. For the power by which the people are to be defended, consisteth in their armies, and the strength of an army, in the union of their strength the one command which command the sovereign instituted therefore hath, because the command of the militia, without other institution, maketh him that hath it sovereign. And therefore, whosoever is made general of an army, he that hath the sovereign power is always generalissimo. Tenthly, is annexed to the sovereignty the choosing of all counsellors, ministers, magistrates, and officers, both in peace and war, seeing the sovereign is charged with the end which is the common peace and defence he is understood to have power to use such means as he shall think most fit for his discharge eleventhly to the sovereign is committed the power of rewarding with riches or honour and of punishing with corporal or pecuniary punishment or with ignominy every subject according to the law he hath formerly made or if there be no law made according as he shall judge most to conduce to the encouraging of men to serve the commonwealth, or deterring of them from doing this service to the same. Lastly, considering what values men are naturally apt to set upon themselves, what respect they look for from others, and how little they value other men, from whence continually arise amongst them emulation, quarrels, factions, and at last war, to the destroying of one another, and diminution of their strength against the common enemy, it is necessary that there be laws of honour, and a public rate of the worth of such men as have deserved or are able to deserve well of the commonwealth, and that there be force in the hands of some or other to put those laws in execution. But it hath already been shown that not only the whole militia, or forces of the commonwealth, but also the judicature of all controversies, is annexed to the sovereignty. To the sovereign, therefore, it belonged also to give titles of honour, and to appoint what order of place and dignity each man shall hold, and what signs of respect in public or private meetings they shall give to one another. These are the rights which make the essence of sovereignty, and which are the marks whereby a man may discern in what man or assembly of men the sovereign power is placed and resided, for these are incommunicable and inseparable. The power to coin money, to dispose of the estate and persons of infant heirs, to have preemption in markets, and all other statute prerogatives may be transferred by the sovereign, and yet the power to protect his subjects be retained. But if he transfer the militia, he retains the judicature in vain, for want of execution of the laws. Or if he grant away the power of raising money, the militia is in vain or, if he give away the government of doctrines, men will be frightened into rebellion with the fear of spirits. And so, if we consider any one of the said rights, we shall presently see that the holding of all the rest will produce no effect in the conservation of peace and justice, the end for which all commonwealths are instituted. And this division is it, whereof it is said, a kingdom divided in itself cannot stand. For unless this division proceed, division into opposite armies can never happen if there had not first been an opinion received of the greatest part of england that these powers were divided between the king and the lords and the house of commons the people had never been divided and fallen into this civil war first between those that disagreed in politics and after between the dissenters about the liberty of religion which have so instructed men in this point of sovereign right that there be few now in England that do not see that these rights are inseparable, and will be so generally acknowledged at the next return of peace, and so continue till their miseries are forgotten and no longer, except the vulgar be better taught than they have hitherto been. And because they are essential and inseparable rights, it follows necessarily that in whatsoever words any of them seem to be granted away, Yet if the sovereign power itself be not in direct terms renounced, and the name of sovereign no more given by the grantees to him that grants them, the grant is void. For when he has granted all he can, if we grant back the sovereignty, all is restored, as inseparably annexed thereunto. This great authority being indivisible, and inseparably annexed to the sovereignty, there is little ground for the opinion of them that say of sovereign kings, though they be singulus majoris, of greater power than every one of their subjects, yet they be universis minoris, of less power than them altogether. For if by altogether they mean not the collective body as one person, then altogether and every one signify the same, and the speech is absurd. But if by altogether they understand them as one person, which person the sovereign bears, then the power of altogether is the same with the sovereign's power, and so again the speech is absurd. Which absurdity they see well enough when the sovereignty is in an assembly of the people, but in a monarch they see it not. And yet the power of sovereignty is the same in whomsoever it be placed. And as the power, so also the honour of the sovereign ought to be greater than that of any or all the subjects. For in the sovereignty is the fountain of honour, The dignities of lord, earl, duke, and prince are his creatures. As in the presence of the master the servants are equal and without any honour at all, so are the subjects in the presence of the sovereign. And though they shine some more, some less, when they are out of his sight, yet in his presence they shine no more than the stars in presence of the sun. But a man may here object that the condition of subjects is very miserable, as being obnoxious to the lusts and other irregular passions of him or them that have so unlimited a power in their hands. And commonly they that live under a monarch think it the fault of monarchy, and they that live under the government of democracy or other sovereign assembly attribute all the inconvenience to that form of commonwealth, whereas the power in all forms, if they be perfect enough to protect them, is the same." not considering that the estate of man can never be without some incommodity or other, and that the greatest that in any form of government can possibly happen to the people in general is scarce sensible in respect of the miseries and horrible calamities that accompany a civil war, or that dissolute condition of masterless men without subjection to laws and a coercive power to tie their hands from rapine and revenge, nor considering that the greatest pressure of sovereign governors proceeded not from any delight or profit they can expect in the damage weakening of their subjects, in whose vigour consisted their own strength and glory, but in the restiveness of themselves that, unwillingly contributing to their own defence, make it necessary for their governors to draw from them what they can in time of peace, that they may have means on any emergent occasion or sudden need, to resist or take advantage on their enemies. For all men are by nature provided of notable multiplying glasses, that is, their passions and self-love, through which every little payment appeareth a great grievance, but are destitute of those prospective glasses, namely moral and civil science, to see afar off the miseries that hang over them, and cannot without such payments be avoided. End of chapter 18